Last Thursday, First Nations and local government met for the Build Back Better Together Forum to find out better ways in preparing for floods. Joining us is Tyrone McNeil, Chair of the First Nations Emergency Planning Secretariat and President of the Stolo Nation, as well as a co-host of the forum. Good morning, Tyrone. Good morning. Thank you for being with us uh, so early on a Sunday. How did you feel with the forum? I felt the forum went really well. The the number of local uh, government leaders and their technicians were really engaged in the conversation that we put on the table. So it made me feel good because it, it showed me that we're, we're connected with what some of their priorities are and some of their priorities align with what we were presenting for the day. So it was a really good day. Okay. I know that there were five principles outlined, including reducing risk in climate change, uh, because it was noted that climate change is going to have devastate could potentially have devastating effects on on various regions. There, but of course, we know that they're ultimately unpredictable too. I mean, we just look at how Lytton has been struck uh, yet again by even more fires. So, how is risk going to be managed substantially going forward? But first of all, we need to get away from the like potential risk. There, there, there's a number of risks that are coming down the pipe that are inevitable. 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 The November rain event, for example. Yeah. Uh, so it's about recognizing that these are real risks, and the best way to prepare for them is to to get ahead of the game, move move both levels of government from the current post disaster, you know, step in the field we can do, to some more proactive actions, particularly on resilience particularly around bringing folks together to talk about a larger plan than a single local government plan or a single First Nations plan and take a regional approach. Yeah, by you... doing that, we, we, we bring all of our capacities together, all of our planning together. You know, we've got some pretty bright minds here in the lower mainland Fraser Valley bring us together and we come up with some pretty good options, pretty good solutions. Okay, yes, you advocate for a regional plan. Why is that? Because the, the, the folks need to recognize what, when one local government or one jurisdiction does something, it, it directly impacts somebody downstream and even potentially upstream. So when you, when you look at it individually, it's just a piecemeal. You have us all competing against insufficient funds. You have us competing with insufficient human capacity across the board. So if we come up with a, a single regional action plan, it connects all of us. It's, what, what do our strategies mean to somebody downstream and what do their strategies mean to us? And then from there, uh, the, the piece I'm really chasing here is once we develop a regional action plan, we be incorporated in the decision-making to implement that plan. We don't need Ottawa, we don't need Victoria making plans that directly impact us. There are going to be really hard decisions to be made, but who better to make them than those of us directly impacted by a climate disaster? Yeah, I want to pick at that a little bit. You mentioned earlier that there are real risks with climate change and disaster. It is inevitable. So let's talk about what could be done in terms of uh, prevention of impact and what, what can be done proactively. What are the big things you, got, you guys looked at? But firstly, we, we know there's, there's over 1,500 kilometers of salmon-bearing water, salmon-bearing habitat, sorry, salmon habitat trapped by dikes, railways, roads, and whatnot. So if you open, open those up, you're doing two things. You're enhancing salmon habitat, but you're giving the river some space and some room to grow. Right now, there's some dikes that are immediately on the banks of the river, so the river has no, no opportunity to grow whatsoever. So by opening these old waterways, that the river can increase in volume and in capacity, <clears throat> but the, the risk to all of us is, is lowered because it's got a broader floodplain here in the, in the lower mainland in Fraser Valley. 
So that, that's the biggest piece of it. And then related to that, it's having a conversation with folks. Do you know? Do you do you know you live in a in a high risk floodplain? And if not, here's some things you should be considering. And that that's going to lead to uh, hopefully local governments having conversations, maybe through their their ability to zone and allow or disallow activities in certain areas of within their jurisdiction. That we could start start putting some restrictions on what activities can take place in those highest risk areas because we can't protect them. Those yeah. highest risk areas will get wet from time to time, so things can happen, but not everything. Yes, Tyrone, do you think a lot of people, a lot of folks, were not aware of the fact that they lived in a high risk area? Well, we certainly heard that from the November rain event when all kinds of farmers in the, the historic Sumas Lake had no no idea they're living in a in a historic lake. Yeah, and I, I'm really confident that there's a lot more other people out there that you know it's a real estate transaction. They're new to the area, they're coming in, they have no idea, and then next time there's a high water, it goes, oh, oh, I didn't didn't know that. Yeah. So whether whether that becomes a part of the real estate strategy or not, it probably won't be because it might devalue property. But you know, there needs to be more public awareness and what the real risks are in terms of where they're located, where their infrastructure is. Yeah, where could that public awareness come from? Where could that education come from, do you think? Well, it's it's a pillar within the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction. Uh, it speaks a lot to the public, a lot to the, to the the general population in terms of educating them, in terms of incorporating their, their thoughts and ideas into the regional um, action plan, that, you know, the, the strategy. So the, 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 the right now they're kind of left out a little bit just by the nature of the old way of thinking by both uh, the province and feds. The new way of thinking by Sendai encourages local participation by citizens, you know, that everybody everybody and anybody, whether you're part of government or not, whether you're part of emergency management or not, if you live in the area, if you work in the area, you need to be a part of the conversation. In order to do that, you need to be aware of what conversations are taking place and when. Yeah, one of the solutions I understand was also to buy out some homes. But the, the, depending where the property is, the infrastructure is, that does need to be on the table. We, we took a look at one example in New Zealand where the, a local government bought out 5,500 properties because they couldn't afford to go back in to, to remediate after the floods every two or three years. So that was quite, a, quite a, like a shock in the pocketbook, a short term. But over, over the time, they're saving hundreds of millions. You know, they'll recoup that money and more by allowing the, the, their river to swell in those areas, not have a negative impact on real estate and whatnot. So we don't have to buy up anybody and everybody here in the valley and lower mainland, but it has to be put on the table to take a look at. What can we protect? Is it worth protecting? Or should we look at other options such as buying people out and encourage them to live a little bit higher up and towards the mountains and whatnot? What do we protect and what is worth protecting? That's such an important question. I saw that the city of Abbotsford has approved $2 billion towards moving dikes. I'm wondering what you think of how the overall uh, funding outlook appears now. Well, right now, it's piecemeal. It's hodgepodge. It's competitive. Abbotsford put out a a pretty robust request for the $2 billion. Well, what does that take away from other regions who who need protection or need support or, or need opportunities to be more resilient as well? So the, the moving flood, sorry, moving dikes back is definitely an option because many of them are simply too close to rivers. The rivers need a chance to grow a little bit. But ultimately, in, in our view, like one of our take or one of our, one of the things we presented last week was reconciliation, and I raised it in such a way that when is a plan a plan? 
We, we've got the Declaration of Rights and Indigenous Peoples Act here in BC. If local government includes local First Nations and puts a, a strategy together, I, I'd call that a plan. If a local government ignores local First Nations or First Nations don't have the time or, or capacity to participate in the local government's plan, I'd, I'd say that's more of a suggestion or an option than a national plan. Because folks need to recognize there's a new piece of provincial law and federal law as well that bring us to the table in different ways than we've ever had opportunities to in the past. So really encourage local governments to engage with local First Nations and get it right from the get-go as opposed to any kind of legal action or legal recourse coming down the pipe later. Get it right from the get-go. I'm curious what you think we misunderstand about resilience uh, coming out of November's flooding disaster. Uh, firstly, the, the, there's simply too much effort put on, on protecting humans and protecting real estate. We really hope to bring folks along an understanding that if you look at it from a, an ecological perspective, from a, a salmon, salmon habitat perspective, if you, if you look after salmon habitat by creating water storage, opening up these old waterways, you, you, you know, you're enhancing salmon and salmon habitat. But the, the spin-off there is that you're, you are protecting human interests but from a, a salmon or an ecological perspective. So that's one of the things we want to change a little bit is let's look at the, the lower mainland with, with a broader lens, not just human interests, human values. Who else is here? Where have they gone? Can we bring them back? Such as salmon, such as migratory birds. There, there's lots of uh, species at risk here, species in the, in, the, in the lower mainland Fraser Valley. You know, there's opportunities to rebuild those numbers as well. So, uh, what I guess one way to look at it is maybe look at things in the less of a Eurocentric uh, lens, Eurocentric model, and look at it as a broader, more holistic, you know, more, more inclusive of non-human interests, and we'll we'll all do better in the long term. So just got to change some perspectives a little bit. Tyrone, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you, Henry.